Welcome to the Berkhamsted Spotlight, Berkhamsted School's podcast channel. Join our weekly guests from inside the classroom to behind the scenes of our day-to-day activities through to life beyond Berkhamsted School. Find out what it's really like to be part of our remarkable community. Remarkable community indeed. In this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight, we're talking to someone who in many ways is the backbone of the school, or at least one of those backbones. Julian Anthony is the Chief Operating Officer, and you would be amazed the different aspects of school life that he gets involved in. Which means that in this episode, you're going to hear some of the examples of school life that his department is involved in. And he tells us what it's like to be responsible for some of the old buildings on the school site, buildings that have been around for centuries. But then, as always, we get to hear what Julian has changed his mind about in the last two years and what his remarkable moment at Berkhamsted has been. So come with me now as we speak to Chief Operating Officer Julian Anthony. Julian, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Simon. Uh, as well as can be with only one leg fully operable as I have uh, broken a bone oh, no. in my foot. But other than that, I am good. I am very pleased to be in my office in Berkhampstead today on a very quiet half-term day. So yeah, things are good. So tell me what happened to the foot then in that case. Well, unfortunately, I took a very poor decision to go for a run at 5.30am in, in the morning. It was very, very dark. And I think I, I slightly misjudged or didn't see a divot oh, no. in the pavement and uh, rolled over on my foot and caused myself quite a bit of damage with a broken bone and some, some damaged ligaments. So I have only myself to blame, as my <laughs> wife tells me, and uh, I am now uh, hobbling along and trying to uh, recover from it. Well, in that case, thank you so much for, for, for coming in, uh, especially with that problem that you've got there. Now, Julian, we're going to talk about a few things on this podcast episode, but I'd love to know a little bit about your own education, where in the world you were brought up, whether you went to school in the local area or whether it was somewhere further afield. Sure. Well, I was born and bred around North London, grew up in uh, Mill Hill and Edgware. I went to school in Elstree to a school called Haberdashers, so in the independent sector, and struggled to cling on to the coattails of my peers, but uh, managed to see my way through. And from there, went on to study accountancy, maths and computing in what's called uh, combined studies at, uh, well, it was then Leicester Polytechnic. It is now De Montfort University and went on to do my professional accountancy exams. I see, right. Okay, and then did you come to work straight at Berkhamsted, or did you go somewhere else first? No, no, I've been in uh, the corporate world most of my working life before coming to Berkhamsted. I worked in finance, various finance roles, largely in the telecom sector, and then for my last six years before joining Berkhamsted, I moved into the what's known as the third sector, the uh, learning disability charity, in a role very similar to that that I've got at Berkhamsted, uh, where I was the chief finance and operating officer of the learning disability charity and got really, really good grounding, actually, for mm. what is really at Berkhamsted a combination of a corporate world uh, combined with the charity. So it, it really has been a very, very good background for getting to this this part of my career. So which companies were you with when you were in the telecom sector? Were they, were they large companies that we know, know and love? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you'll love them, but you'll certainly know them. I was originally with, well, they were called One to One when I first joined them, but became T-Mobile very quickly soon after. I was with them for six years. And then from there, I was uh, with BT 
for three years. So they are my main uh, telecoms experience. Uh, I've also been in the food industry with Premier Foods, okay. um, who are also quite a well-known name, own an awful lot of big brands such as Kipling's and, and Bird's. And, and uh, Hovis was their very, very big purchase that put them into a lot of debt. So interesting places to work. And so how come you made the switch from like blue chip corporate world into the, the world of charity in that case? It was just an opportunity, a chance meeting, really, a coffee with the chief exec of the charity. It is a charity that's quite uh, close to my heart and it's in my sort of local community. And really, I went in there, I, I, I had sort of finished at Premier Foods already and was looking for the next challenge. And this was a, ch- I say a chance meeting, clicked very well with the chief exec. There was a role to go in on, on a project basis initially to look at some strategic planning for the charity. And within three months, I was the acting finance director. A couple of months later, I was the finance director. And then my role grew and grew to come, I think, probably the only CFO, C-F-O-O, uh, in this country. It's a title that's used in, in America, I think, but I don't think there's any others in this country. Uh, but it basically was a way of saying that I'm the chief operating officer, but I can't recruit a finance director because I've got to do that bit as well. So <laughs> it was uh, it, it was a very, very broad role, as is my role today in Burke Hampstead, and I'd say really good good grounding for seeing sort of all all parts of the operations of the of the charity mm. and yeah and ended up six years in that charity so it was a, a you know it kept me challenged and it kept me interested and, and a lot of satisfaction in, in working in that space and good grounding and experience for for school life I imagine which is where you are Absolutely. today now Correct. the role of chief operating officer to me that doesn't sound like the kind of role that many schools might have it kind of feels a little bit more like a corporate title, almost like the kind of thing that HSBC might have, or even BT, of course. Tell us what that role actually is. So it, it definitely is a role that all schools have in one degree or another, but many of them won't have adopted the corporate title, as you rightly identify. It is effectively the role of a bursar. In a school such as ours at Berkhamster, we are a, a very large school. We have over 2,000 pupils uh, across our various sites. Um, and we are spread across five sites. So whilst we're effectively one large school, uh, we are kind of six schools across five sites making up that one larger school. We operate in something called a diamond structure. I think we're one of 13 schools in the UK that operate in this way. So it means that we co-educate children at the younger age groups. They go individual girls and boys school at senior and come back together for sixth form. So it means it's quite a complex structure and it's large. And the role that I do covers pretty much everything as outside of the academic side of things uh, is my primary responsibility, with the exception being human resources. And I'm absolutely delighted that uh, that's not sitting directly under me. I think you've already spoken with our chief people officer, Tracy Evans. And you can imagine as well that human resources on its own is a very large role in, in a school like this. And that's actually combined with marketing in this school so uh, but I have primary responsibility for the estates for the the IT finance catering transport and so on so it's a very a very wide reaching role a lot of variety and so it does exist across all schools but they may not all give it the, the corporate title I think one of the, the big reasons that Burke Hampstead advertised the role as chief operating officer and a number of other schools are following suit these days is actually to attract experience from outside the sector. 
because a lot of people outside of the, the sector wouldn't really know what a bursa role entailed. I certainly didn't know. And had it been advertised as a bursa role, uh, actually I would have missed out because it probably wouldn't have caught my eye and I wouldn't be where I am now. So I'm, I'm delighted that Bert Campster took the decision to adopt a more corporate title just so it was familiar to me uh, what the role would entail. And I, I hope that they are delighted with the result of that as well. And do you think that schools actually have more of a duty to to use more commonly used language as opposed to industry specific language? I'm thinking about, well, I mean, Bursa is clearly one example, but uh, you mentioned earlier about the diamond structure being co-educational at a younger age. And of course, new parents often don't actually know that co-educational means girls and boys together. Do, mm. do you think schools should be taking more of an active role in, in making their language more common? Yes, I do, actually, because I think people in an industry, and it's not just the school sector, every industry tends to be the same in this way, that they, they use a lot of acronyms or they use different language to describe things and think that everybody knows what it means, but actually most people outside of that sector really won't be familiar with it and won't know. So I think you risk limiting the reach of whether it's a job advertisement or anything related to what the service that's being provided you, you risk not hitting all the people that might have an interest in it and might be able to add value. Okay. Um, so yes, I think it would be good to adopt more generic terminology. So no pressure, but for the rest of this episode, I think every listener is going to be seeing if there's any acronym that comes from you uh, in that case, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> I did work in the IT side of the telecom sector for a very long time. So uh, that is really full of acronyms more than any other place I've, I've known. So uh, yeah, I'll try not to, but please forgive me in advance if I do steer <laughs> into that. Totally good. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what keeps you busy from one day to the next, because Berkhamstead is clearly a large group of schools. What does it take to keep it going from an operational side? Gosh, well, it requires patience. It requires energy, definitely humour, huge camaraderie, because there's a lot of people that have to come together to make it work. And and you need serious collaboration uh, amongst colleagues and subject matter experts. And you have to have a workforce that wants to help one another, everybody striving for the same kind of main goal, which is basically to give our pupils and our students the optimum opportunity to be the best version of, of themselves that they can be and to do so in a happy and comfortable kind of environment. So with a group of effectively six schools across five sites, we are operating from nursery right through to sixth formers. We have borders on site. So there's a multitude of complexities to manage on a daily basis. And really, a lot of it comes down to logistical challenges and being able to decipher what is the biggest priority to tackle there and then because with with such a range of things going on there's always going to be a number of issues to deal with and and it's trying to tackle the right ones that will have uh, the biggest impact uh, in the shortest possible time so you need a lot of dedicated and motivated staff from a diverse range of of skills and abilities to to bring it all together and you know this goes right through from whether you're a kitchen porter a member of the grounds team teacher, cleaner, management, uh, fleet operator. There's dozens of of job titles that all contribute to the success of of the school. And it's crucial that these elements all come together, sort of push in the same direction. Mm. Outside of the academic elements of the school, where obviously parents will be uh, most aware of of the the demands that they place on success and uh, what they measure as being the best outcomes for their children, 
you've got all the support functions uh, behind it that we've kind of touched upon, whether it's HR, finance, IT, facilities management. There's so much that can go wrong that you've got to be on top of these things and ready to juggle things. You've got to be able to jump from one thing to another that, that might be on a completely different type of, of problem. So if dealing with it with an issue on IT at one minute and the next minute you might have to be dealing with a flood in a kitchen. You know, so it's very, very, very varied, but it is generally all about problem solving. And of course, you know, you've, it, it takes a lot of support as well from the governing body because a lot of the things that, that we have to address will require investment and also just require expertise and, and knowledge. So we pull on our governors for that assistance as well. And fortunately, we have a, a very responsive and a very well positioned governing body to, to help support with, with what we're doing. It must be reassuring then to have but that what, support from them. But tell me a little bit about the buildings at the school, because some of the buildings I'm told are very, very old. Some of them go back to, what, 16th century? Is that right? 15th century? Yeah, I think uh, our oldest dates back to 1544, I think. And so, yeah, it's a it's a huge responsibility in the first instance because we are looking after heritage assets uh, amongst more modern buildings as well. So there's a very, very eclectic mix of buildings across our campuses. And there's there's many assets, many, many assets to to look after and many facets to reviewing and keeping that infrastructure up to date. So we undergo numerous external condition surveys, which can cover a whole site or be a specialist area that could be focused just on trees or security access to a site, for example. From those surveys, we'll tend to draw up action plans and prioritise based on the need, the affordability and disruption impact and so on. Because one, one of the biggest challenges that I've, I've seen in managing the estate of the school is the fact you've got very small windows of opportunity to do your major building improvements, whether it's maintenance or whether it's new builds or extensions replacing windows, roofs, whatever it is, you've only got really the holiday periods to do most of that work because obviously you want to minimise disruption to the school day when, when pupils are on site and particularly exam season, you don't want to be creating lots of noise and dust on site. Hmm. When you add into the mix that we have a boarding community on site in some old boarding houses and then we also have as all independent schools tend to have a set of commercial activities that go on during the school holidays to very much try and supplement our, our income and provide an extra push of funds that can be invested into the buildings. It means you're really always working around other people trying to find opportunity to be able to put up your scaffolding and, and drill holes and what have you. Mm-hmm. So it, it, is, it, is a, <laughs> it is a big challenge. We have a a very dedicated head of facilities and property, Nick Saunders, who is at the moment very focused on what he calls a wind and water type program. So that's not your sexy new buildings. That's very much about how do we uh, address the areas that are most vulnerable on these buildings. And and that's a two to three year program. Mm. And often you don't know the extent of the remedial works that will be required until you've managed to get yeah up there on your scaffolding so it it can be uh, a bit of a hold your breath and see what you're going to find we've we've recently invested in a drone which helps us uh, to go and fly over some of our chimneys and roofs and see any 
obvious kind of things like slip tiles or whatever. So that's a new piece of the jigsaw, if you like, in terms of investigations for us uh, of of the assets. But yeah, that, that's all really just about trying to maintain what we've got before we even sort of get into the, the realms of improvements and enhancements and additions to the sites. Uh, and that's a whole other area which we are very, very focused on. So it must be quite a responsibility, really. I'm thinking that, you know, we, we, we've seen some of the building development work that happened in the 60s and 70s when, where people thought that they were making improvements. And now sort of, you know, 20, 30, 50 years later, we look back and we say, gosh, you know, that was clearly not a good thing to be doing to survive the, the test of time. Uh, in terms of style and and functionality, how do you how how do you sleep at night with that responsibility? <laughs> I think the amount of work that I do during the day exhausts me so much that sleeping generally <laughs> isn't isn't the problem. Finding enough time to sleep is the problem. Mm. But uh, you know, it's a it's a very fair, valid question, and it's it, it's interesting. We worked with before I even joined the school. We worked with some uh, design architects back in around 2016, 17 to draw up a full-blown estates master plan which details the the key advancements and improvements we want to make to each of our campuses over literally the next 20 to 30 years just to ensure that we're continually upgrading and improving our facilities we've got in places our sites are quite cramped and we want to open them up Uh, we've got these beautiful heritage assets and we'd really like them to be uh, more visible from outside of the school from residents uh, and, and pedestrians walking along the street and you know the the first the first of those um is really coming to fruition there's been a number of of enhancements but the the really big one that's now in play is the building of a new sick form which is going to be on our boys school site but with its kind of separate entrance and exit will be very much we we feel a flagship for the school and a, a real indicator of how we expect future construction projects to go and obviously there's so many more challenges to doing this now than there were 40 50 60 years ago sustainability is clearly a really really big topic at the moment and trying to do things that will be sustainable in terms of longevity but also in the operation of the building in the efficiency of it the use of heat pumps rather than boilers as an example and all of that uh, kind of uh, trying to generate as much of the energy from within the building Uh, and retain energy within it there's so many things to to think about on that side of things not to mention all the other regulatory requirements that you get from health and safety fire regulations and all that kind of stuff so i think you know every few years it gets more and more complicated to build these buildings but it's also really exciting um, to take sites that are full of heritage assets and bring the modern aspect to them without losing the charm and character of what we've inherited if you like is a is a is an exciting challenge and one that we we spend a lot of time working on and i'm very excited for what the future of our sites will look like and i really hope i'll be able to look back uh, 20 years on and go wow we really did transform some of what is already a fantastic sort of set of campuses but into something that is more fit for modern purposes and it's not when we're thinking about these enhancements and new buildings in particular we're not just thinking about the bricks and mortar but we're actually thinking about the use of them and the ways that they those buildings are going to be structured to prepare our pupils for life beyond the school so particularly with the sixth form we're, we're trying to 
design a building that allows our pupils to have a much smoother transition from school life into whatever goes on for them next outside of school. So whether that be into university or straight into business, we think they'll be much, much better prepared with the way we're, we're designing the building, that kind of open plan, collaborative working environment. Gosh, well, I'm glad you're carrying that excitement as well as a responsibility. And I'm very glad that it's you doing that instead of me or anybody else, because it sounds like you've got it all under control. And I'm very thankful for that. Julian? Well, I think I, it just, sorry, Simon, but really, really important to, to point out, of course, that whilst it sits under my area of responsibility, there are many, many people that have to come together to make it work. And, and I've been really impressed with the creativeness, actually, of our head teachers who really feed into these kind of uh, discussions and designs as well, um, and the many other people that are part of it. Uh, well said, and a great shout out to, to the rest of the team and everyone within the within the school community there. Julian, a couple of questions that we ask everyone on these podcast episodes. First of all, what have you changed your mind about over the last couple of years? Well, it's a good question. Really, I think quality, bear in mind, I've only, I only joined the school three years ago, and it's my first role in uh, the education sector. And I think for me, what's most surprised me, and therefore I've changed my mind about, is actually the quality of the academic staff and particularly their ability to adapt literally in the blink of an eye to, to switch their way of teaching. So from being trained and always teaching in a classroom, and okay, of course, we have a broad range of ages across our academic staff, but many of whom will have done you know, decades of teaching in a classroom. And suddenly overnight, they had to switch to teaching children from with the children at home and the teachers often in their own homes. Mm. Um, that is, is something which I think could have caused absolute meltdown and actually our teachers responded fantastically to. So that really is, a, is for me, something I've changed my mind about is, is the adaptability of teachers, their ability to pick up digital devices and, and learn how to use them in a very short space of time. Mm. And uh, I don't think any of that was covered in their PGCE training. <laughs> <laughs> and I've and just generally I've built up a respect and an admira admiration for teachers and head teachers and I've I've got a far greater understanding of the pressures they work under. My wife started life as a teacher, she's now an educational psychologist, and I'm not sure I ever gave her enough credit for what she had to, to do as a teacher. I think a lot of people outside the sector and myself included until I came into it saw these long holidays that teachers had and thought, well, I don't really know what they're complaining about. They've got it easy. They've got all this time off. Mm. What I've learnt in my time in the school is the intensity of the kind of six-week blocks they work in. They need those holidays. Our pupils, our students need the teachers to have those holidays mm. because it's a hell of an ask. I mean, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people listening who will listen to this podcast when it's aired who are parents and probably find it pretty challenging looking after one, two or three children at home. Well, Try putting dozens of them in a classroom mm -hmm. together yeah. of varying abilities and varying concentration levels and trying to make that work. It's a, it's a very, very challenging role. Mm. So, yeah, I think uh, once upon a time, I thought teachers had a very good deal with their lengthy holidays. Now I understand why they need and must have them. Mm. And of course, a lot, a lot of those parents that you mentioned listening to this may well have had a taste of that during the lockdown when they tried to do it themselves and yeah. suddenly had that yeah, new absolutely. appreciation of teaching staff. And Julian, what has been your remarkable moments at Berkhamsted? 
every day seems remarkable. No two days are the same. I think bizarrely, my, my answer is probably a bit, a bit strange if uh, my first one I pick out is actually the recruitment process. So what attracted me to the school in the first place? Mm. Because I wasn't really looking to move from the role I had in the, in the charity. I saw this role come across my, my kind of LinkedIn profile. I saw the candidate pack. It intrigued me a little bit to apply because uh, of the, the kind of the way the pack was put together, the description of the role looked interesting. I happened to recognise the name of uh, my, well, the incumbent at the time in the role as well, who I had worked with uh, briefly at BT, and that sort of pricked my uh, attention up. But I've got to say that uh, the process that was run, and, and lots of credit to Tracy Evans, our chief people officer for this, was incredibly engaging and a very, very slick process uh, in collaboration, of course, with the headhunting agency. I met the uh, our principal, and interesting actually to to talk about principals. If you were going to put that into corporate speak, I would say CEO. Mm -hmm. But our, our principal, I met him three times, I think, during the kind of six stage interview process, yeah. and this was all carried out in the space of three weeks. And I thought that in itself was a really strong message about mm -hmm. how much importance Burke Hampstead places on the person and their character and the team fit. So those key attributes of recruitment of staff are definitely reflected in the academic and pastoral approach to the, the development of our pupils and students at the school. And we talk about developing remarkable people, and we really do mean it in all that we, we do. And I hope that those who come through the ranks at Burke Hampstead, be it pupils and staff, will one day reflect back fondly on, on their time here. My, my my funnest, most remarkable moment was probably seeing our principal, Mr. Backhouse, wearing my studded leather jacket in uh, when he was dressed up as a as a rocker with the rest of the <laughs> senior leadership team in uh, in a, a play that was was put on that the staff were a part of. So that that, that was great. And, and just my final thing I'd mention as a remarkable moment, I was engaged in a sustainability workshop with students when we were looking at some of the design of the new sixth form. Uh, in my role, the one thing I don't usually get to do is to work or interact very closely with the students. And I was absolutely blown away by the way they approached that there. I was blown away by their desire for a better world and their creativeness in coming up with some brilliant ideas for the sixth form. Things like having a meadow quad, for example, mm. that just would never have crossed my mind. And, and I just found that a really uplifting and exhilarating experience. Mm. And there are a number of things which came out of that that are going to be factored into the new build. So, yeah, that definitely is a, is a real remarkable moment. No, I love this. So I ask for a single remarkable moment and, and I get three in return. This, this is fantastic. It really is. Julian, we need to bring this to a close now. But if anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch either with you or with the school what's the best way for them to connect i think best thing is is through the switchboard or through inquiries at burkehampstead.com and that will find its way to me if it's if it's something that's relevant for me to um respond to well look, thank you for your time thank you for being here especially during half term and especially coming in on the train with a uh, with a slightly sore a slightly sore foot right now i'm sure julian thank you for being here i really appreciate the time thank you Okay, Simon, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you today and I hope people enjoy listening to this podcast. 
So that was Julian Anthony, Chief Operating Officer at Berkhamsted. Julian, it was a real privilege to talk to you. Thank you for your time coming on to this episode of the Berkhamsted Spotlight. Now, if you're listening to this and you would like to get in touch with anyone at school, then just email inquiries at berkhamsted.com and there'll always be someone there to help you. But our next episode of this podcast is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so that you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.